We are back in Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you look, it says verses 1 through 32. That's the entire chapter. But I do have good news. I'm not going to attempt to read all 32 verses. I would probably mispronounce half the Hebrew names in there. But I am going to make some points as we go along to this text. But before we get there, I want to remind you that three weeks ago, June the 6th to be specific, we talked about the realities of rebuilding. And now we're going to see all that planning and preparing and praying be put into action. Now obviously, before you rebuild, you need to have a vision. What is the purpose? And if other people are going to take part in that with you, they need to have a vision. The question is, is the vision they have the same vision that you have? Nehemiah's vision was to see the walls be rebuilt around Jerusalem. Now what if Nehemiah's workers had a different vision than what he had? Perhaps you would find a decorative fence around Jerusalem or maybe just a stone block of wood or stone. They needed to have the same vision. And they had to have someone that unified them. See, you need the, we need the same thing. We all need to be on the same page, have the same goal. And I can tell the vision here, in very broad terms, is to build, build the kingdom of God, to lead people to faith in Christ, and to build His kingdom that way. That's a very broad statement, and a lot of things come underneath that. But that is our vision. That's the reason why we exist. Now, to rebuild or restore, we need to lead, or we have to have a leader. Now, I'm going to talk about leaders a lot this morning, but I'm not just referring to myself as your pastor. I'm talking about anybody here in any type of leadership position, be it a teacher, VBS worker, uh, someone in hospitality. All of us have a role to play in the local church. So this applies to you just as much as it applies to me. But we need to manage and direct and advise and guide. God does accomplish His purposes through people, but God uses leaders to motivate and organize them. Now on a personal level, before we talk about the church or even the walls here in Jerusalem, on a personal level, may I remind you there are some places where you need to take the lead. Because that's up to you. It's your life. Perhaps God is wanting you to make some changes. Only you can do that. And I would tell you this morning, if you're not willing to do that and to lead out in your life to show people what Christ has done for you and how He's changed your life, then many people won't do the same thing. They'll just follow your lead. And I would tell you this morning, the world, some of them say they believe in Christ, some of them will say they don't. But here's the biggest thing they have a problem with. How do people meet with this God day in and day out and there's no change? Think about this now. As we turn to the text, the people listed in chapter 3 had been living in Jerusalem for many, many years. But the wall never got built until God sent Nehemiah there and people got excited about it. Now, Nehemiah is never mentioned in the chapter. There is a Nehemiah talked about, but it's not the same person. It's somebody with the same name. 
However, all his organization, praying and planning and organizing is behind the entire chapter. It shows how he was an outstanding organizer. There are some 45 sections of construction that are mentioned, including 10 gates. Planning all this building activity, organizing the groups, planning and arranging all the infrastructure for the supplies demonstrates this was no small accomplishment. Now we're talking about before modern machinery, everything. They had to do everything by hand. It's a huge accomplishment. As I mentioned earlier, I will not read the entire text. I will tell you, verses 1 through 15, we see the repair of the northern and western walls. And in the first verse, we read that Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests. Now, if you look at the outline, it says, and the priest, and should not be there at the typo on my mistake. Now, this guy was the grandson of Josiah leader of the construction of the temple. It's interesting to note, right off the bat, in the first verse, the priests, even the high priests, did not sit around direct other people. But they built the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate was near the northeast corner of the wall, close to the temple area. That's why it was named that way, because the sacrifices, sheep destined for sacrifice, would come in through that gate. And that's why they consecrated it and hung its doors. That place was of personal interest to have the priest rebuild that area. Now keep that in mind. Then we, we talk about the priest, and in verse 2 he talks about the men of Jericho built. This was a cooperative effort. People from all professions and trades helped. As we see here, coming from many villages and outlying areas of Judah, in some cases, the names of the leaders of the group we do not have. And we find in verse 4 that they made repairs. Literally in the Hebrew, that means to make firm or strong. It's used many times throughout chapter 3, but especially in verses 16 through 31. Because it's not just describing repairing the wall, it's also talking about how they built the wall from scratch. They had to build a whole new wall. And as you look at the four, look at your text, look at those four first verses of the chapter. Different people being named what they did. Not once does Nehemiah write in there he took the credit for it. That reminds us that leaders must not mind if the credit goes to others. In other words, Nehemiah didn't want a plaque hanging over the wall saying the Nehemiah Memorial Wall. He didn't want that. He was committed to the task. He wanted the wall to be built so that God's name would be exalted in Jerusalem and his people would no longer be a reproach. Nehemiah knew that God would recognize his efforts in the end. As a side note, you can get ready to teach or preach or go and witness to people. You may not get the results that you like to see, but never not anything that you ever do for God do you do in vain. It always does something. We may not see it on this side of heaven, but it's never in vain. We come across in verse 5 the teacots. The teacots. They made repairs. Well, look what the verse says in verse 5. But their nobles did not support the work. Now that place that they're at 
was located southeast of Bethlehem, and that's home of the prophet Amos. It was close to the area that was controlled by Geshem the Arab. And that's probably why the nobles didn't do their work. They were influenced or afraid of him. Whatever the reasons, what this verse, why I'm pointing it out, is that not everybody shared Nehemiah's vision or supported the plan. In verse 8, mentions goldsmith and perfume makers. People from guilds. Maybe they got involved in the building, but some of them used their guild to help support the building. Like bakers, they'd make the bread to help feed people as they did the work. Or the potters. I want you to get a picture of all these people coming together from all different walks of life, even the people in trade skills. Maybe they didn't physically help with the wall, but they supported the effort. Think about this. The Jews had been back for about 90 years now, but yet the wall was in shambles. As leaders, we must motivate people. I mean, the wall had been down. But when Nehemiah came, and share the vision God gave them, they went to work and they put the wall up in record time in spite of opposition. Now the difficult thing about motivating people, what motivates some people may turn off other people. Nehemiah couldn't get the nobles excited about the project or to join in. But he didn't spend time on them. He didn't address that. He went on to to motivate the people he assigned to work on the portion of the wall that they had particular interest in, such as the priests working on the sheep gate. Others repaired the wall in front of their homes. They had personal incentives to do a good job. Now, as a side note, keep this one thing in mind. If you have a bad attitude about what you are doing, others will probably have the same thing. They're somewhat following your lead. Sometimes you must be a cheerleader. Get excited what other people are doing. Remember, it's not about us. It's about Him. Sometimes actually doing the work, we must be the cheerleaders cheering people on for what they're doing for the cause of Christ. It also reminds us as leaders must not get distracted. He didn't get distracted by people who don't want to take the time, those nobles to join in the project. Some other nobles from other towns rolled up their sleeves and went to work. He worked with the many willing workers and those who did not, got, did not get involved, there were the losers in the long run. Long run excuse me. And in verse 9, you see the word district. The reason that's important is that Judah was real big and they would divide Judah into sub-districts and the Persians would let local people rule over those local districts. And most of the time, they were local, so there were Jews. You see what he did. He looked at the national breakdown, and Nehemiah went there to use the national breakdown, use those rulers of those districts to help organize and plan rebuilding the wall. Whatever the background, the involvement of rulers along with the priests, the merchants, and people from outlying towns, this is all a crofter spirit. And it also demonstrates Nehemiah's administrative skills. So we must plan and organize as leaders. Leaders must plan and organize. And it's obvious that Nehemiah did this when we read the text. He had to figure out how to do this huge task. Break it down into manageable units. Have the available workers to do the, the work. And he had to coordinate them so everything fit together. He delegated. Leaders must delegate. He knew he couldn't do all this work himself. 
He had entrusted to the workers. He gave them authority to do the job themselves. Now, have you ever said this? Now, be honest. It's just easier if I just do it myself. Now, remember where you're sitting. <laughs> but when the job gets so big, you're going to have to delegate the work out. Because the necessity of delegation—excuse me delegation grows. And I walked through this pretty, in a really fast pace, but verse 12 says something that really jumped off the page. Look what it says in verse 12. Shalom made repairs. He, listen to this, and his daughters. Now, if he had no sons... His daughters would inherit his property. We see that in Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. But the fact that women are mentioned, being involved, the extent of Nehemiah's support, that shows how so many people, and I keep saying this, I want you to picture, not just the people in Jerusalem, even people in outlying areas came to this to rebuild the wall. That shows a lot of cooperation. Everybody going for the same goal. And look what they did. And how they did it. Finished in record time. The last part of our text, verses 16 through 32, is the construction of the eastern wall. And this is somewhat different because now the landmarks go from primary houses and other buildings. That's because they built the wall further up on the crest of the hill. And in verse 20, Nehemiah points out a worker, Barak, the son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section. See that in verse 20. What a great honor to be. I mean, think of that. The whole chapter, this guy, right after, I mean, right there in the middle of everything. Oh, by the way, this guy not only did it, but he did it with, with zeal. I can't see anybody in the, in the text that he makes that remark. By the way, his name means blessed. Nehemiah knew what he was doing. He saw he do it with zeal. And that zeal must have inspired the people that were working with him. It reminds us that as a leader or leaders, we must oversee. Nehemiah did that. Delegated doesn't mean you dump or you dictate. See, if you just dump something on somebody and walk away, that's not effective leadership. And dictate every detail is not to delegate with the proper freedom. He delegated the work. He oversaw the work. So my point being, when you read that verse, verse 20, you know that he oversaw everything. But as he walked around, not only did he know what Barak was in charge of, but he saw how he did it. Imagine Nehemiah walking the entire wall, seeing what's going on, overseeing the work, not being a dictator now, telling them, encouraging what they're doing, telling them they're doing a good job, and talking and inspiring the people. Leaders must give proper recognition, acknowledgement, and appreciation. Nehemiah knew in detail what was going on on the project. Some are mentioned as completing more than one section. It's important to note that was not that Nehemiah recognized every worker. You know, Nehemiah didn't recognize every worker. But guess what? Here we are, 2,000 plus years later, still reading about these people and what they did to the wall in Jerusalem in ancient times. 
God took notice of what they did. Like I said, I can't stress this enough. In ancient times, building a wall at points eight feet thick, doing it by hand, working together, I think we can learn something from this. We have to be working together, but more than that in a moment. Some of the observations from Nehemiah chapter 3. To rebuild successfully, you need other people's help. The people heard Nehemiah's vision. They responded by building, working together. Listen to me. Working together, they accomplished what no one could do individually. Not one of them alone could build that wall. They needed everybody. I cannot, please hear me, I cannot build this church, this kingdom locally in Forestburg all by myself. I need each one of you to help me to work in cooperation to take out the gospel and to build the kingdom of God together. That's the reason we have the Crawford program at Southern Baptist. We believe together we can do more for the cause of Christ. There's people coming to Christ. There's churches being planted. There's churches getting help. There's resources going out. Disaster relief all over the place. That's because we're working together. There's over 1,500 missionaries now working here at home. They're going up to even more missionaries. You have a part to play in that because when we give, we give a percentage to the Crawford program. That goes out. We cannot send a 1,000 full-time ministries out of this church. I guess we could try. We couldn't support them properly. But together we can do more. Working together. The workers were willing to cooperate and coordinate with one another. Some of them worked right in front of their homes. Other people came from outlying cities to help. And after they returned, they didn't receive any benefit from it. They just came because they believed in it. They were willing to work for their overall cause. <coughs> and the cause was that the name of the Lord and His people will no longer be reproached among the nations. The workers were willing to complement each other. Everyone could do the same job. Some worked on the walls. Some worked on the gates. Some carried heavy stones. Some workers, will, excuse me, some workers were willing to work outside their areas of strength. Some did things they were not trained to do. They are probably not good at it. But it had to be done, and so they did it. Well, Tim, I can't get up and preach the Word. If God calls you, He'll give you what you need. You heard me say this. You're going to tire of me hearing this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. He's wanting to know if you are willing. I have to merge in verse 14. Makaja. He was a goldsmith. Look at verse 14. What did he do? He repaired the refuse gate, the dung gate. You know what that is? Right outside the gate, that's all the trash went. A goldsmith. That's beneath me. I don't need to do that. But he did it. Because it needed to be done. No job too great or too small. What a chapter. And I, and I flew through it. But I want you to see the bigger picture. Isn't it amazing that all those Jews were there the temple was rebuilt, but the walls were still down. See, despite the mundane appearance of this chapter, it's more than just a wall being built. 
Now, the walls would serve a military purpose, no doubt. But the concern for separation from pagan influence suggests it also had a symbolic significance. Rather than simply just providing security, the walls encouraged in the people of God a sense of identity and distinctiveness. The the restoration of the walls also represented a reversal of the humiliation of defeat and destruction suffered because of Israel's sin. Like the restored temple, the rebuilt walls assured the Jews of God's redemptive presence among them. Now, we don't have walls today to, to remind us of God and His presence, His redemptive presence, but what do we have? Look behind me. What's behind me? The cross. That cross reminds us of God will always be with us, His redemptive presence, that we are called out of the world. Still in it, but we're called out of it to be the salt and the light. To be distinctive from the rest of the world that when you go out and you live your life, someone says, hey, he's different, she's different. What's going on here? Do not respond like the world does. Be distinctive. With those walls are going up, can you imagine the people going, man, we got our city back. God's here. We are the people of God. God's here with us now. So it's not just the walls going up. They were being restored as a people. Chosen by God. Perhaps right now you're sitting here, you're not familiar with all the history you've been talking about. But there's things in your life that you felt like, what's going on? I don't feel a part of anything. I I feel like my life's falling apart. That's when you need to turn over to Christ. Let Him welcome you into the family with His arms. And God's redemptive purpose will be present in your life. Now is not the time to look down and say, look, what, look, how big, look how great our church was then. Or look what was going on then. There's definitely problems here locally and also nationally with our country and everything else. But I'm telling you, as we look back and we see how God moves, as I said before, it gives us confidence as we look forward into the future, that God will never leave us, never forsake us. Our best days are yet to come. Don't give up now. Keep fighting. I saw a commercial on TV this morning for the Promise Keepers. You know what they said? Fight the enemy. Fight complacency and fight apathy. Maybe the complacency and apathy is where we're at right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you everything that's wrong with our country is because of the church. I will tell you we had a part to play because we've been so apathetic. If we don't stand up and stand for the truth, who is? That's who we are. That's our distinctiveness, to stand on the truth of God. And the reason that work progressed was that everyone took part. From the rulers and temple personnel to merchants and citizens with their families. Bring it up today, not just to preachers. It was the whole people of God, no matter what form of life they had, no matter all the walks of life they came from, they stood united in one purpose and one cause. 
Even the people from villages who lived a distance away also helped. They felt part of the community, even though they personally received fewer benefits from it. I like what biblical scholar McConville suggests that, quote, their cooperation on the wall is one of the Old Testament's finest pictures of Israelite brotherhood. Even their enemies were amazed at their results because they worked together. Do you know why there's so much strife? Can I just talk bluntly with our convention of Southern Baptist churches? Why there's so much contention and conflict in our local churches? We've lost our sense of the goal. Satan wants to seek, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide us. And he'll do anything to cause it to happen. And guess what? I see God working here. Bits and pieces. In this past week at VBS, hear those kids not only know what they actually heard and paid attention because I asked them questions afterwards. We're low right now because people are on vacation. Spend the time with family. That's wonderful. In a time of COVID-19, we didn't miss one service. Yes, we didn't meet in person, but we were online. Not one time during COVID-19 did we have to cut anyone's pay or stop any ministry. In fact, we grew in ministry and we grew in numbers of people coming and watching. We did over 100 meals to people on Wednesday nights all during covid you get the picture? It's difficult. It's hard. But God is moving. He's moving right in our midst. For us, not only to survive, but to be effective in the midst of opposition from a hostile, secular culture, we must, the church, exhibit a corruptive spirit. If I could put one sentence on Nehemiah chapter 3, I'd say, Cooperative spirit would be the title. Because they all came together and they worked for one common cause. God was so pleased with what he saw. We have record of it. And here we are in 21st century America reading about ancient Israel with specific names and what they did. And there's no Nehemiah Memorial Wall was all for God's glory. Can I ask you a question? What's your vision? What do you see? What would you like to see? I know God is not, I'm not the only one God's talking to. He's talking to you too. What's that shared vision? What's God going to do? Encourage each other. Pray with each other. Our best days are yet to come. And we're going to have opposition. Nehemiah had opposition. The last thing the enemy wants us to do is to see a huge spiritual awakening happen right here in Forestburg, Texas, in Montague County, by a little church that most people don't even know about. What happened? Well, some Gideon showed up, talked about the Bible. People gave the Bible. Next thing I know, people gave their lives to Christ, and the whole thing turned around. 
It's happened before. It can happen again. God's the same day yesterday, today, and forever, and tomorrow. I don't want to sound like I'm telling you. I just want to encourage you. I want you to catch the vision. Everything we can do with God. Everything you can do with God. And I'm going to say this and end with this that I told my girls ever since they were real, really little. I always look them in the eye. Never sell yourself short. Dear brothers and sisters, don't sell yourself short. Most of you in here I know are believers in Christ. You are a son or the daughter of the living God who wants to use you to reach a lost world with the gospel of Christ. And just like he wanted the walls of Jerusalem built around his city so he could drill among his people, he wants to do the same thing right here in Forestburg. And you have a vital part to play in that. All of us coming together from, well, I came to Texas as soon as I could back in 88. I wasn't born here. But I got here as quick as I could. He's pulling us all together. Different talents, different skill sets, different backgrounds. He knows what we need. He knows the people that we need. And he's pulling us all together. Doing all different things, but to accomplish one goal and one purpose. And man, you see that in Nehemiah. Can't you see it happening here? I can. The only thing stopping us is us. What is your response this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read the example of your people way back in Nehemiah's day. People who are united with one common vision, one common goal, working together, all having different parts to play, but working together for one goal. Father, we know you place us here for a reason. To reach people in Forestburg, Montague County, the state of Texas, our country, indeed the world, with the gospel of Christ. People, you desire to use your people. Dear God, stir your Holy Spirit, your Holy Fire within my brothers and sisters this morning. Let them see what they can become. Let them see that vision that you have for them here at Forestburg. And Father, I pray if anyone's here has never given their life to Christ, that, that would be the, this would be the day and the hour they do that. That if we need to repent of sin and confess it and cry out to you, and so be it. Do anything you have to do, O oh God. We desire to be used of you to take the light into the darkness. To take the gospel out to a lost and dying world. Continue to move and continue to speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stay with me, please?